This is AV Week. Recorded Friday, August 19th, 2011. Matt Scott's hair. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. It is time for AV Week, your weekly roundup of news and commentary. I am your host, Tim Albright. With us today is Matt Scott from Omega Audio Video, also known as Matt Scott's Hair on Twitter. Sorry, I had to do it. That's a wonderful intro. Uh, Michael Drainer, he's from St. Louis. He's in studio with me from Tech Electronics. Linda Sid Frembis is the AV writer. (laughs) I didn't butcher your name this time. And uh, with us today is George Tucker also. Um, a, uh, he is in, uh, in New York area. He is an engineering coordinator for World Stage. Welcome, you all. Good afternoon. Hello. How are you? What's up? <laughs> that was weird. Bringing that, that St. Louis swagger. Yes, that St. Louis <laughs> swagger that he's yeah, not known for. All right. Uh, first thing up is, is kind of a couple sad stories. Um, there have been two... Um, high-profile, significant stage collapses in the last uh, couple of weeks. One was at the Indiana State Fair here recently. Uh, last couple of days was in Belgium. Um, what's kind of going on? I'm not in the staging world, so we'll start with you, George. What's going on with with not just stage collapses, but in in this whole world? How does this affect you and, and the industry? Well, it it shouldn't. Aff- affect the industry too much except that you're going to have well yeah it will you're going to have more people being sensitive about it at outdoor events right now um, and I think reading what I've seen the information that's coming in about this and we don't know anything yet until they actually do the reports and everyone says yes we officially know what happened um, there seems to be a lot of information pointing to um, the fact that the sheds and the structures were built correctly and the companies that built the pieces that the people used are well well renowned in doing this um that there seemed to be some people just ignoring that a big storm was coming and you know you get it high a high enough wind you're going to knock almost anything down uh, i know i've seen reports of people saying that there was no tension wires or there was no guy wires or something of that nature but um it it's an issue that every outdoor event has to deal with you have a structure you have people standing in front of the structure if some kind of inclement weather comes I've seen more than my share of producers saying, no, no, we're good, we're good. No, no, it's fine, let's just wait it out. And, you know, that's just the wrong choice. You chalk it up and say, people, move. Um, I haven't seen what all of the information is in Belgium yet, although I've been tracking something, some of it with uh, a guy named John Huntington. John Huntington uh, is a, uh, a teacher, an educator, and an IATSE guy uh, who has a blog called controlgeek.net. Uh, he also wrote a book called Control Systems for Live Entertainment. It's sort of like the textbook for the theatrical world on show control. Hmm. Um, who has been sort of going through this and, and giving a lot of information about, you know, it really does look like this is a weather-related. It just blew it down, and they, they had plenty of time to get the people out there out of there. Again, nobody knows anything until the final investigation is over. Uh, there's also somebody, uh, John Birchman. I forget what his handle is on Twitter. Um, but he was. I didn't hear that. It's John John Bergman. There you go. Who did a really good um, 
post-mortem on a lot of this uh, and pointing a lot to weather as well and that there was a lot of um, indications that they should have just gotten people out of there. Okay, okay so here's, here's a naive question. Why didn't they? Your guess is as good as mine. Uh, I don't know if anyone's heard anything else from people, but I, you know, I, I've heard people saying they heard about the weather, they were chatting about it, and just they did one of those things where they went, "Well, we want it to go on." Again, I, I'm I'm going by what I presume is happening. I don't know yet. Well, I wonder how much cost is a factor as well, because you have so much tied up in in these productions that a delay or a cancellation. I mean, there's money on the line, so I wonder how much cost is also a factor when you're looking at cost versus time. But then again, you know, especially in terms of Indiana, those reported 70-mile-an-hour wind gusts. So what temporary structure can withstand that type of wind? The shed in my backyard can't withstand that, you know? Exactly. We're talking about a temporary truss structure that had Lord knows how many thousands of pounds strapped to it um what the saddest part to me is is the fifth person who died in indiana uh was a spot operator right he was a spot op strapped to the truss and what i don't understand is why if they saw the uh, weather coming in on the radar and if they were talking about it why those guys weren't brought down Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that's a good it's pretty standard Go, go ahead I'm sorry. It, it is pretty standard procedure. Hey, this is not good. There's lightning. Get down. Yeah. You know, I mean, especially for a spot guy, you're, like, you're on metal. Exactly. What's it going to hit first? Well, and, and only that, <laughs> but this is just common sense. I mean, I remember when I was in, in, in high school, we, we played football. You, you you didn't practice if there was if there was lightning. You know why? Because we wore metal helmets. I mean, this is just yeah, common yeah. sense. Right. Right. You know, and, I and there is to... an issue of. There, there was some debate there about what, what kind of warning they got, but from everything I'm starting to read, they keep claiming a 10-minute warning, and it's not enough to get people out of there, but they knew about a half an hour before that there was a storm coming in that may possibly have high winds. We live in so, the world. We live in the, in the era of Doppler radar, for crying out loud. I mean, they mm-hmm. can tell me mm-hmm. tonight on the news if it's going to rain next Friday. So it's not like you, you, I don't buy the, the whole 10 minutes. And, yeah, I understand that there are probably weather phenomena that I don't understand and I can't even fathom. However, you know, that we still live in an era where we have a tremendous amount of forewarnability, if that's even a word. And if it's not, I just made it up. I just there created it. Yeah. Call yeah. Webster. Absolutely. Well, either way, you know, our condolences go out to the families of those who um, have passed and, and are still hospitalized. Hospitalized. I cannot talk today. Hospitalized. I'm hospitalized as a result of this. And, um, you know, uh, I just I encourage anybody who is in the staging and rigging community to take warning anytime weather is becoming an issue. Uh, you know, I greatly respect the folks over at um, Live Nation and the. Um, Verizon Wireless Amphitheater here in St. Louis. I, I was at the Aerosmith show last year, and we had a, a very, very nasty storm come through, high winds, and they actually canceled the show. Well, they didn't cancel it. They postponed it until the weather cleared. They encouraged everybody to leave the amphitheater, go out to your cars, take shelter. You know, And that's the type of responsibility that saves lives and people respect. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah. I think I, it comes... I mean, again, go, go ahead, Matt. I was just going to say, I think it comes down to, um, I haven't done a ton of large staging, but I have done some, and again, smaller events, but 
I think it comes down to a lot of people sitting there saying, you know, it's coming, but it's going to miss us by, you know, X amount of miles. We should be fine. There is, you know, so much money on the line that they don't want to instantly just shut it down if, you know, on that off chance that it's going to, you know, actually hit them when most likely it's going to verge off, you know, a couple miles one way or the other. Again, you know, this isn't necessarily a good thing and no one wants to see this happen, but I think more often than not, that's where the the information comes from. You know, it's like watching a NASCAR race, for heaven's sakes. How often do they sit there waiting and waiting and waiting until it's, you know, literally right there, and that's when they put a stoppage to it and try and get people out of the metal stands. Well, you know, that's a valid point because I can't tell you the number of times I've been on the golf course and they've sounded the siren saying, come back to the clubhouse, and it's not till the lightning strikes the the tree at the end of the fair where you're like, okay, it's time to go. But but that's (laughs) different. You know? I've already paid my 20 bucks for my 18 holes in my cart. And... <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's no different here, though, right? I mean, the promoters put their money out. The the fans have put their money out. Everybody is vested into this situation. They're going to wait to the last minute. Unfortunately, it's our nature. There's insurance for that. So, Isn't there? I don't know. <laughs> George, is there insurance for that? There's definitely indemnity insurance for those there kind of go. things. But whether or not they took it, you, you right. Know, yeah. right. again, I really can't. I can't over-recommend uh, John Huntington's blog. He has been following this, and he's also a weather geek, so he has been documenting this thing beyond, beyond. I mean, he's got at least maybe 12 or 13 posts with probably almost now somewhere in the range of about 2,000, 3,000 words on it. Mm. Well, wow, and I'm looking at all really the videos. It. Yeah, he's got yeah, a he's ton got, of videos on here, too. Right, he's got he's the great. radar videos. And he's very factual. It's not yeah. sensationalized in any way. He's right. very factual. Yeah. All right, uh, so, hey, um, before we get off the topic, I also I wanted to actually say something about the spot op who died. Um, he was a single dad, and his IATSE Local 30 um, is collecting funds for his family. He was a single dad of two kids, two wow. teenagers. Wow. And um, we're, we've always been good about taking care of our own in AV, and now would be the time to help. Do you have some kind of contact or, or a link or something, Linda? There is a link on uh, PLSN, Pro Light and Sound News. Um, I can pass along that link if you want it for your site. Please do. Uh, it's the IATSE Local 30 Disaster Relief Fund, and the gentleman's name is Nathan Bird, B-Y-R-D. B-Y-R-D. Okay. Thank you very much. So I just thought that was important to mention. Absolutely. Just because Indeed. Uh... Yeah, and we'll, we'll yeah, pass we'll along. Pass uh, George, give me the uh, the the, uh, the uh, website for uh, for that blog too. Okay, yeah, yeah. it's controlgeek one word dot net. Controlgeek dot net. All right. Mm-hmm. Okie dokie. Um, on to the next story. Um, this is from our, our our friends over at Rave Publications. Uh, they uh, re- reprinted something from Digital Screen Media Association. Uh, here's the long and the short of it. Basically, uh, Digital Screen Media Association is is produce, predicting an increase uh, by the end of 2015 that uh, the digital signage industry uh, is going to reach nearly two billion with a B dollars. Um, there's been a lot of stuff, and by um, I'm sorry, scratch that. By the end of 2013, reached seven billion dollars. Did I miss that? 
No, you got it right. Okay, I missed yep. it. Seven million dollars by the end of 2013. Um, two integrators on on the phone, a staging guy, and 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 Linda and I are just you know we write and, and talk about the AV industry. There has been a lot said in the last couple of years about digital signage and digital signage um, as an industry and, and as a, a revenue stream. Um, let's kick it off with with you, Matt. Is this something that you're that you're looking at for digital signage as a possible um, not business to get into, but but another another revenue opportunity, or is it something that you don't really see this as as a viable thing for you and your and your business? It's something we have done a fair amount of research into. We have dabbled in it a little bit, doing doing some stuff. the The problem that we see with most of it is that you know. Most of the customers that really have the the bank accounts and, and the wallets to run digital signage properly are larger companies, larger chains, et cetera, which for myself as you know, uh, an integrator, we don't have a national – well, we technically kind of have a national presence, but that's more consulting. But you know, we don't have boots on the ground in different parts of the country and you know, you know, a, a staff of 50 guys just waiting ready to go. So it, it's something that we're doing, again, in the smaller scale – with some of the smaller local businesses and stuff like that. But where I think a lot of the money is, is going to, again, hit more of those companies and those people that can support some of the larger companies. One that we have done some work with is some of our local, uh, excuse me, subway franchisees. And again, we had spec'd and quoted a, a couple of different systems for a couple of their stores, and we're just about to implement it and put it in. And subway corporate came down with a, uh, essentially a memorandum stating that this company will be providing your screen installs. This is what they have to be. This is how they have to look like. This is where they have to go, which again is, you know, perfectly fine. They'll be able to support it and probably run it a little bit better uh, just because they're, in, you know, again, a national firm. But for guys like myself, it is, you know, it, it becomes hard because we just can't compete with that when, you know, they're trying to maintain that across the board. The, the interesting thing to me about the whole industry is that, you know, there are a lot of people who swear by it. There are a lot of people who really don't believe in it. But when you look at, and I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I remember seeing uh, numbers for Walmart having more viewers per hour than the most popular show, uh, like network show on TV. Mm-hmm. They get more digital signage views uh, per hour, and it, it was like triple the amount or quadruple the amount of, you know, I think the, whatever they compared it to, I, I want to say it was like Greg's Anatomy or something. It, it's just ridiculous numbers of signage. So, you know, for us, we are doing it, but we're doing it on a smaller stage uh, and, and essentially just doing it for the customers that we know we can support. Michael, you're uh, another regional integrator. Is this something that you're looking at to further your business or is this something that you're not going to, to, uh, to bother with? You know, we do digital signage on a um, ad hoc basis right now. It's typically as opportunities come up and as customers request it. Um, we do a lot of it in education, house of worship, smaller corporate. But like Matt said, it's it's something that um, unless you've got a large footprint and you've got a marketing team sitting behind it to really push the ad side and the content side of things, um, it's not extremely lucrative for the integrators anymore because they're commodity products, right? I mean, you can go to Best Buy and buy a display. You can go to, um, you know, anywhere and buy a PC that can play the content. So it really comes down to the labor services. And trying to develop a strategy around that alone has not proven to be 
uh, highly profitable for us at this stage of the game. That doesn't mean we won't continue to do digital signage, but I'm not going to necessarily jump up and down and say, well, B, retail is going to grow by $2 billion because what I'm finding is that the retail market is driven by the ad agencies. It's driven by the marketing agencies. And a lot of these guys are subsidizing the hardware to get the ad revenue. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, I'll give you that. But uh, And, Linda, you, you maybe can talk to this a little bit more. Um, I remember reading a couple of different articles from Gary Kay saying that IT companies are eating your guys' lunch when it comes to digital signage. Let's say that the margins are really small. What's 1% of a billion dollars? I'm not the smartest guy when it comes to math, but that's an awful lot of money, isn't it? Linda? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize you were uh, specifically talking to me. I'm not a math person. I do words for a living. There we go. (laughs) I think 1% of a billion is not a bad cut. I would take that any day. Um, you know, to me, the growth makes sense, but then that's also a snapshot in time. So, you know, retailers have been suffering so much with the last recession and, you know, look at our market, the, what, even what the stock market has done in the past week yeah. um, and that roller coaster. So I, I often wonder how that affects, you know, things that are going through phenomenal growth spurts like that. Because, again, you know, Michael has a good point that a lot of these systems are subsidized, but, you know, at the end of the day, the retailer still has their own pressures to deal with. So I, I don't have a clear idea of what that means for digital signage in their stores. Well, and what, and you know, when it comes down to the local integrator, as Matt and I were saying, unless I think the reason a lot of IT companies are eating the AV lunch, as Gary K. put it, is most AV integration firms don't have that national presence. When you get into the IT world, they're they're much greater aligned and allied to be able to assist one another with these types of deployments and to be able to deploy them effectively on a national and global level. Just well, do you see AV moving in that, you know, like do you see yourself making other regional partnerships to have more of a national presence you know in some capacities yes but a lot of it comes from our manufacturers um you know we're a uh, just recently signed up as a life-size partner and we can leverage other life-size dealers to assist us with deployments on a national level but digital signage is a little bit different in that everybody has such a different flavor and there's so many of them out there when you get into video conferencing there's really three big players when you get into digital signage hardware and software, I mean, there's literally tens of 20s of 30s of, of guys out there. And you might not have presence in a, in a specific geographic area to be able to, to cover that. But so, why, is that, why is that a bad thing then? I, I'm confused because I, I'm, I'm a, I, I like capitalism. Why, why is having the, 20 different ones a bad thing? There's not a bad thing with having 20 different markets. But I think the hardest thing is even if we have a national presence – um, like even if I hook up with Michael and say, hey, we're going to corner the southwestern Ontario and the St. Louis district, mm-hmm. that's fine. But again, who are we selling this product to? Right. Who are we going to find that fits you know, where our presence is that we can also essentially underwrite for you know, whatever frame, whether we are selling all the equipment plus all the hardware plus all the ad rev um, or if we're subsidizing all that hardware and living off the you know, everything else – that's fine, but again, how are we going to go after those clients when we are not truly national? You know, again, for example, Subway, it's something that as soon as they brought out their you know memorandum, 
every little, you know, smaller guy, and by smaller I mean, you know, without, you know, a couple hundred different locations, yeah. they're they're done. They don't have a chance to even, you know, quote on that, mm-hmm. let alone sell it. Right. Right. Yeah, because, you know, most customers want a single point to go to. They want one company yeah. that's going to be dealing with their situation. It's going to be serving their customer base, and they've got one place to resolve their issues. But I think even more importantly than just the geographic limitations of it are the content and the marketing and the creative side of things. When you look at AV integration firms, most of them don't have that creative capability. No. So you're talking about a whole new initiative that has to be launched, a whole new a, a paradigm shift in the way you go about doing business. And a lot of us have really started to discover the recurring revenue potential in AV, whether it be through services or contracts or whatever the case may be. But bringing in that creative element is a whole nother step. And then that marketing arm and then that, that sales arm to be able to address all that. I mean, it, you're really talking about forming another company within a company. So mm-hmm. I think where AV firms are going to be successful in digital signage is partnering with local marketing firms and the such. Or national marketing or, firms. Exactly. If, yeah. if you have the well, footprint to be able to service that firm. Yeah. It, it really just does seem to come down for you know, guys like us that if we want to go and service you know, our local small businesses and you know, doctor's offices or, or you know, anything like that, that's perfect. We can do that. Mm-hmm. We can support that. Um, I know we have some graphic guys. I like to think of myself as a bit of a graphic guy. Um, but, you know, we have some contacts that we work with and can get stuff produced and made. So, again, we can go after those markets. But the whole $1 billion industry is really going to be made up of, you know, again, a lot of larger corporations that the smaller guys just will never get a chance to touch. So on the smaller side and dealing with smaller markets – yeah, for sure. You can definitely expand and get into it. But I don't know any any companies that are anywhere close to my size that are doing it on a vast level. Right. Well, and even on you know, and, I think, and, and I don't know how big your your company is, Matt, but even on a regional level, you know, tech has six branches between, you know, throughout Missouri, Illinois, and Indiana. And even mm-hmm. even as a regional company, we're not in a position to go after those types of opportunities. You know, school no. school districts where we got 12 schools, sure. Local restaurant chains, absolutely. Local retail chains all day long. But outside exactly. of that, it's just not it's just not a viable thing. Exactly. And you know, you know, a lot of those people will make up that large portion of the industry, but again, it's not I, I don't see any firms that are again, you know, in this, you know, regional or smaller sizes. I don't see anybody making, no. you know, a couple mil a year. Absolutely digital not. Signage. And if no. they are, I want them to send me their, you know, right. <laughs> their plans because <laughs> I can implement it if I get a plan. <laughs> Go ahead, George. You know, you know, guys. I think there's a there's a two conversations happening here. Um, surprisingly, actually, a couple of days ago, David Dave Haynes uh, wrote a blog post for Rave, um, basically called "Why Do We Keep Mishandling the Digital Signage Handle?" And I think what you guys are talking about are two different things and that's something he covers in this blog uh, post about how there's digital signage and there's digital out of home mm-hmm. or, or duh. <laughs> and essentially he's railing against the fact that people are misinterpreting what the two are and that one is digital signage which is being able to put up your uh, your um your schedules and some information up on a board you know, like schools and stuff. And then there's digital out-of-home signage, which has an entire infrastructure behind it for sale and marketing and point-of-purchase type of things. Right. I think what you guys are talking about mostly 
is the digital signage side, which may have some elements of, of DOOH, but it's not the big mega thing that Matt was talking about, where that infrastructure is really baked into the advertising agency and the IT firms having a tight uh, relationship with those people. Uh, it's sort of like trying to put up a Muzak um, system. Right, exactly. Right. Muzak. It's that same sort of scenario of, sure, anybody could set up an XM and put it in, but what are you pacing and what are you getting when you buy Muzak? You're getting a whole array of things. But there's really two distinct things going on here, I think. You know, I think that's a very valid point, George. But what's interesting about that is, you know, both of the articles that we have here, both the one about the Arbitron research and the percentages of of uh, people that are responding to signage and then the Rave article, they talk about the growth sector being retail. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the the digital out of home with the um, – the big infrastructure and the advertising, that's the element that's going to be thriving in the retail segment, in my opinion. So all the growth they're talking about, I don't see in being, you know, uh, putting a menu up on the school cafeteria. It's going to the Old Navies and the, the Banana Republics and the local mall and, and being able to collect that data and the interactivity, although mm. very cool stuff and all stuff that we as integrators are capable of doing, like you said, we just don't have the infrastructure to be able to support that. Yeah. Right. And as you guys were saying, it's yeah. really about can I can I get onto that uh, that coattail for a little while and then it, will there be growth potentially there? Correct. Or am I just an also has service person? Right. Exactly. 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 Which in and of itself could be profitable. You know, it could. A specialized team of guys. Yeah. For time. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, something that Linda does is the AV chat. Moving on. Uh, a couple weeks ago, they did an AV chat. Uh, about getting your CTS and getting your certification and getting uh, and furthering your education, Linda, can you take us first of all briefly explain AV Chat and how people can, can get involved, and then uh, kind of take us through through this chat um, that you had last week? Okay, cool. Um, well, AV Chat is a twice a month uh, Twitter chat that we all have. Uh, it's usually on a Thursday at twelve noon Pacific or 3 Eastern time. I've been told I'm very uh, East Coast centric. So when I say 3, I mean 3 Eastern. Um, The chat that we had, um, I should probably know the date, but I don't. So I'm going to look it up. Uh, You're right. It was a couple weeks ago um, that we had a chat about getting your CTS certification. Actually, it was more about um, continuing education, uh, but it really was about, you know, a lot of people focused on on CTS because that's a, a big continuing education goal that um, AV folks have. And, um, oh, I'm sorry, so how you can get involved is is you can either jump in uh, during a chat uh, if you have a Twitter account. If you don't, you can always go to a Twitter page and type in AV chat and, and figure out what we're talking about, um, although you can't participate without an account. Okay. Um, so, um, so we did actually, you know, and I believe George and Matt were also on the chat when, this, yes, when we yes. did this on the 4th. And, um, so I don't know if we, we should go through the questions that I asked at the time or, or you know, just your basic thoughts on continue edu- continuing education. Um, I'm studying for my CTS. I'm doing the self-study route, um, and it's taking me longer than I would like to. But to, so to me, the, the biggest challenge in continuing education in any form is finding the time, especially if you work full time. And I know some people work full time plus you know, part-time. So uh, to me, it's finding the time, having that motivation and finding the time. But I know, I think uh, Matt, or maybe it was George, had some thoughts on accessibility and being able to um, have access to, to testing in an easier way. 
I know I, I had some comments on that. Um, the the big issue for me is as a small business owner, you know, it, it really does come down to a time every day that I'm not, <clears throat> excuse me, either in the office uh, or in the field is obviously days that we're not making any money, and you know, my wife isn't happy, my guys aren't happy, etc. Um, so as much as I'm a, a big fan of learning more and being able to grow in the industry, it is something where if we can't do it easily, it's very hard. I cannot take, you know, a week to go and take, uh, you know, CTS training somewhere or, or whatever the time frame is. I know even when we take, you know, Crestron training or any of the other uh, manufacturers that we work with, tr their training classes, it's something that we really have to schedule out in advance to make sure that, we can do it and still keep, you know, either guys working or, you know, projects coming in. So for me, it's something where, again, self-study is great and we can do that. Online stuff is even better. Anything, you know, to make it easier for us to, you know, obtain these certifications and grow and continue our education is obviously better. Sometimes, uh, you know, that is very difficult to do. No, it is, and and one of the things that I found interesting uh, at the beginning of the chat, or towards the beginning of the chat, was uh, Linda's comment that there was there's not really a degree, there's not an AV degree, uh, and then seeing all, everyone's responses from journalism to I think somebody was in marketing and, and some other stuff, um, and how they came about getting into the AV industry, um, and and furthering your education. I've had my CTS for, for a few years now, and I'm going back to grad school to get a master's because there's there's some of the classes in there that deal with how people consume visuals and how people consume audio and and getting that not necessarily you know, first of all because I, I just like to learn and, and learn stuff but secondly the more I and this is the way I see it the more I understand how human beings consume media and honestly guys that's kind of what we do we deliver up to them audio and visuals right Mm -hmm. <laughs> we're an audiovisual industry, so if we, the more we understand how people consume them and how they interact with them, the better I I can be at delivering it to them. Does that make sense? Oh, definitely. So, no, but what is your master's? There's no there's no AV degree no. master's degree. So, what is your um, area of study? It will be mass communications. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a master's in mass communications, and simply because you're right, there is no degree, and so you kind of kind of have to ad hoc. Because I'm more of a system programmer and a content guy, that's why I'm going that direction. Someone who does installations, um, you know, Michael, you're, you're you're an integrator. Someone who does installations, you would more likely to have as an integrator, as an installator, installator, as an installer. <laughs> good lord, installator. I like that. Um, that's the second word I've created. Today. I am not an installator. That's yeah. today's title. Oh hush. <laughs> Um, wouldn't you rather have someone who has a double E or a master's in electrical engineering? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, when, when I'm looking for system designers, because, you know, finding CTSDs is very difficult and finding people who already have their CTSs is proven challenging. So I'm looking for engineering students. I'm looking for people who have engineering disciplines who can apply the fundamentals and then we'll worry about getting their CTSs and their CTSDs uh, and CTSIs after we get them on board. So is this more about you understand a basic, you have a basic skill set? Absolutely. Absolutely it is. Because, you, you know, a lot of the principles apply, um, but it's not, what I found unique about the AV industry, and after being in, in broadcast IT and now AV, 
what's unique about AV is you can't go to school and just learn it. I mean, it's something that you've got to be in the field you're doing. It would be great if somebody could develop a curriculum where you could put students through a program and they could come out and know how to design a projection system. They would know signal flow. But without the engineering disciplines, they're missing a lot of those basic electrical theories that, that you can apply across the board, right? Okay, so, and it, forgive, this is not, um, and, and, you know, that's weird. Um, Infocom has a set of curriculum, mm-hmm. and at least from the education side, has made it very clear that if you would like to partner with them, they will help you develop a curriculum. There is a school in in Oklahoma, and I, and I apologize, I, I don't have it off the top, of my, off the top of my head. But um, there is a, a school in, in Oklahoma that's offering an AV degree. It's a it's an associate's degree. Um, it's 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 in conjunction with Infocom, and, and they've helped them build that curriculum. Is that something that we need, or are we okay with this? You know, kind of ad hoc. You have a mass comm. You have an engineering degree. And then, oh, but when you get back, when you get into the industry, then we'll get your CTS. I think a, a degree in AV is uh, would be a tremendous asset to our industry. Um, you know, something that covers all the disciplines, both the the theoretical and the practical application of the of the disciplines, as well as rounding the individual out. You know, with your typical math, sciences, English. Um, things along those lines. You know, I find a lot of, of uh, geeky geek, nerdy nerds, wear the pocket protector type guys out there, but they cannot communicate worth a lick, right? <laughs> you can't put them in front of a customer. It, it, it's, it's suicide to do so. Um, but then I find guys who are very personable, but they know nothing about the technology. So I'm stuck, you know, training people no matter which way you cut it. It would be great to have an institution. Um, you, you know, the production industry has the full sales of the world. Uh, where you can send somebody, they learn how to mix, they learn how to rig, they learn how the business works. We don't have that in the AV business. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. Linda, I know you that know. you have to run. Um, yes. I thank you for being here. Linda said Frembus, thank you. the AV writer. You can find her at frembus.com, F-R-E-M-B-E-S, or at AV writer on Twitter. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. If, if I can add you know, something to – sorry, sure. If I can add something to it, Uh, you know, again, I come out of a pro consulting side, so I understand completely what you guys are talking about. We've done, we've moved into a lot of residential stuff. And uh, again, I agree. CD is kind of the same way. They don't, um, you know, they have just like Infocom has uh, things that they can, people can attain and certifications and whatnot. There's still something that seems to be lacking for us from a construction side. Whereas, you know, I came out of a full construction background and the biggest thing I notice on site, a lot of times when we go into residential projects that have been worked on by other integrators is they may have been perfectly, uh, perfectly skilled from the AV side, but when it comes to the construction side, they don't have a clue. And, you know, again, I know from the the pro and the commercial side that's usually not as much of an issue but in the residential side it's a huge 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 gap that i don't think gets addressed really at all by anyone i know when you take some of the cda training they they do show you some of the basic stuff but like we've gone on into projects (coughs) done by other integrators that were cda certified 
and you know found support wall studs completely cut out so someone could run an HDMI cable right <laughs> on a yeah on a load bearing wall and you know again not that that happens all the time and not that every or really many or any uh, CDS certified guys would do that but it does happen right. and you know again there's there's something to be said for all aspects of the business and of the industry that would be wonderful to see whoever picks it up. <laughs> well, you're, you're absolutely right, Matt. And that's, that's the development of the well-rounded individual, right? It, it's, it's that, it's that technician, it's that designer, that project manager who not only understands the technology, but understands the application of the technology, understands how it integrates, understands how it works with other disciplines and other trades. And I have to say, that's one thing that Infocom's done well on the CTSD program in bringing in a lot of the project management elements, working with architects, working with end users, and all that stuff. But that just addresses our industry specifically. It doesn't address all the other disciplines. So Exactly. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, I have to agree with that. I mean, um, e- even where I am now, but when I was working in the install side, I th- we mentioned this during the AV chat, which is we'd get guys with 20 years in the AV industry or, you know, 10 years as an audio guy. And we'd ask them what an XLR is. And I think we mentioned this last week as well. And the answers I got were ridiculous to the sublime. Really? Um, and these were guys who had done it because they didn't know. They just know that that's the connector you put in there. And, Mike, I know you mentioned, you know, the, it, this is an industry where it's both experience and education. And we are sort of lacking in that ladder. I mean, I'd love mm-hmm. to see more apprentice-type stuff happen. Absolutely. Uh, and in the early days of, the, of uh, World Stage, where I work, we used to hire interns from uh, – I went to something called Institute of Audio Research. Uh, it's a trade school, <laughs> but the trade school taught me the essentials. I went and got an internship someplace where I had to learn and uh, apply what I learned, but then learn a great deal more. Uh, and then the, the point was it never stops learning. You no. always mm-hmm. have to learn something new. And – you have to make the time to learn it. Otherwise, you're just doing what someone told you to do, and when it comes down to fixing the problem, you're stuck. Uh, a, a good good example of this is setting up IT. Anyone can set up a router. If you follow the basic book that it says to do in the Linksys manual, you can set up your own home network really quick. Right. But the minute somebody else is on that same channel of RF for your Wi-Fi or something happens where there's a collision, if you don't understand how that IPv4 addressing scheme works... You're stuck, and you're not going to have connection. Mm-hmm. So it's you know getting halfway there by learning to do something by rote is great, but if you're not getting yourself into a position where you are forced to be tested to learn some new technology, you're not going to apply it very well. You are you are absolutely right. I can't tell you how how much of a peeve that is to me. Um, I ran into a technician on a job site uh, one time. This was before I worked for the company I worked for. It was with one of my competitive companies. Um, I was working as a consultant and I walked out there and, you know, it was a simple Ohm's law calculation to troubleshoot. The guy didn't know Ohm's law. He didn't know how to apply it. He had no idea what it was. He said, well, look, let's look in the manual and make sure, you know, the wattage and the power and everything's right. And it's like, he said, I'll call the manufacturer. I said, no, just look real quick. We sketched out a piece of paper and showed him how to do it and away you go. But it's those fundamentals right that we're lacking that make us productive that 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 help us deliver a quality product at the end of the day and having those disciplines combined with the specific av training combined with 
the well-roundedness of somebody who's been through the English and the science and the math and all the other things, and you learn how to communicate, I think that's what makes a great technician and a great designer, not just an average Joe. Who, right. Who, who is Ohm, and why does he have his own law? <laughs> Because he's special. special. <laughs> you know, there is actually a couple of schools out there. Um, I know that Yale does a program. It's mostly theater-centric, but they do a program. And I think there's also a trade school called the North Carolina School of the Arts, mm. which I know a bunch of guys. I think that's where uh, a bunch of the guys that I work with here at World Stage actually went to. And they go over everything from projection to IT to content creation to... Really? You know, I, think it's, yeah, you, I think you graduate with a B-A or B-F. Yeah, B-F. Bachelor of Fine Arts. Oh, okay. Okay. And but still, it's a trade school, and they go over everything, as well as saying to you, "The rest is up to you." Again, when I was managing a tech support crew, we would tell them, "I'm going to give you the essentials. You're going to take the CTS, and you're going to pass this, or if you don't have a job." And <laughs> yeah. you're going to, and Nothing like an ultimatum, right? <laughs> and it truly was. I mean, they, it's still you can't do this. You can't answer the phone, right? Because yeah. remember, what tech support guys have to do is they don't always have it in front of them. They're going to have to go by what they've been trained, what they know already, and then you know that ability to diagnose a commonality. It's technology. It's like this, so there's a thread and a path to follow. Yeah. If you can't do that, and some of it, most of it in your head, <laughs> you're not going to get it done. Right. Because you know the guy on the other end of the line is not giving you all the accurate information. You know, it's like that. Uh, what was the um, the, uh, the there's a, an adage or an apophical story in tech support people of the early days of faxing from a computer. Um, you know, with somebody saying, do you have the document on the screen? Yes. Hit send. What happened? Nothing. You go over and over again, and finally the guy says, well, what does it say now? Hold on. I have to move the paper. What do you mean? Well, it's in front of the screen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? So if you're not yeah, yeah. sitting there with the diagnosis, diagnosis of being able to say, what is he doing? What should he expect to see? Right. You know, you're, or be able to at least logic it out. I've never seen this software, but when it comes up with a, a caution window or an error at this line, well, what does that mean? Well, and actually, um, you bring up an interesting question, George. Is is the AV training something that belongs in a trade school, or is it more academic? Yes. <laughs> I, I think it can be both. <laughs> I think trade schools go a long way, but I think once you start to reach a certain level of am I designing life safety audio systems, there needs to be something behind that beyond I've done a thousand of them. So, so there could be a couple of different levels here, right? There could be the trade school for your technicians, your installers, your technical support people where you learn the disciplines, the theories, and you learn the AV-specific stuff. But then when you get into design and engineering and project management where you need more of those professional skills, then that's something where you need more academic training. Okay, here's something I'm going to get yelled at for probably by you even. Um, here is what I would like to see when it comes to the academic versus trade school. Okay, I, I, I'm going to take your little your, your technician and your tech school and and that that theme. I would like to see a track in an architecture school where it's an AV track. So I want to be an architect, but Please. I I want to be an AV architect. Okay, <laughs> let, let's back it up. Do you know how many hours the typical architect takes of acoustics training? Zero. One. Oh, and one. I'm not talking one. At but one that, semester that, hour, I'm talking one class I know, hour. I know, but that's what right? I'm talking about. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> right. So, so, I, and, and I'm not an architect, and I don't pretend one. I've never played one on TV. Um, <laughs> but, but did you stay in a Holiday Inn Express? I did. Well, I, well, a couple, a couple days ago, I did. So excellent. Um, but it just makes sense to me. I mean, everything that they train them in in architecture school, 
um, is it, you know, it's very it's it's very heady stuff. And it's a lot of math and it's a lot of angles and, and, and this that and the other. Why couldn't they just make a little a little side road over here? Maybe it's a semester. Maybe it's a it's it's two semesters worth worth of training where they say you guys are really smart, you know, and you 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 get the angles and you get all this stuff. Here's here's two semesters worth of stuff that's going to that's going to make you x number more powerful as an architect because now you're not just an architect you're a, you're a systems architect does that make sense yeah it, it does one thing that we have a huge problem with is we're big lighting control dealers and every time we go in and talk to a uh, architect they look at us like we're retarded <laughs> yeah. and we have to you know it, it's it's always an education process which it usually is you know with the customer occasionally with the designer if they're not a lighting designer but it's shocking how many architects and leading architects don't have a clue what it is haven't heard of it Mm -hmm. and don't understand why they should use it and we you know every time have to fight with them saying hey this is a very very important piece that just makes everything you're doing better well and that's such a critical element because you know most people don't understand that architects are bidding on jobs just like we do Right, they they go in and it's the guy who's got the best design for the lowest price, so yep. they're not going to include things that they don't feel are absolutely necessary for the success of the project. So it's about educating them on that success. Exactly. So, you know, it's it's very funny. Um, I knew know that AIA, the American Institute of Architects, does have does offer classes to their architects, uh, usually sponsored by a manufacturer, and they get. AIA points or mm-hmm. the equivalent of CTS credits for you know yeah. getting higher up and, and more stuff, um, and there are manufacturers who have actually go in and try to teach them these things. Now it's all from the sales point of this is the best one. You don't want the other stuff. Here's why. Right. But they do teach them the reality. Um, and I actually sat down with one of them when they were doing it at the uh, the training center that I was that I was working at, and the guy said, you know, I, I get it and it's interesting, but. I'm just here because I'm, I, I'm the one of the company that needs to be here to get that certification so that we can go do an XYZ job. <laughs> and, and I looked at him and go, you know why you're here doing this? He says, because even Frank Lloyd Wright's houses, beautiful as they were, will leak like a sieve when it rains. Mm-hmm. Do you really want that to happen with your audio? Yep. Or your video presentation where it's there but nobody likes it because it, it's terrible because you guys are all looking at your angles and your beautiful lines, which is great and you know purposeful use. Right. But if the applications you're putting into them don't function properly, no one's going to use them or like them anyway, and that will reflect on the building. You know, it's it, oh, go ahead, George. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, and, that, and that's very interesting that you bring that up because I, I read an article recently, and I wish I had the reference for it, where they were saying that AV uh, systems are making up upwards. And when I say AV, I'm talking about lighting control, building control, automation, presentation systems, all the above that they're making up greater than 40% of the technical budget of buildings these days. Yeah. So, yeah. so when you take that level of impact into the budget of a building, why wouldn't you pay attention to it? Because, and again, this is strictly from my personal experience, the architects just don't seem to care as a rule. And again, only my personal experience. But when it comes to anything technical, it just it's completely out of their their realm of field. They just don't seem to want to get involved or put any time into understanding it. But why do, why do you think that is? Is it because they believe that system is an end-user system and the end-user is going to figure it out and they can do that after the fact and I just have to bid this to win the job to move on to the next best thing? Or is there another reason behind that? 
I think a lot of it is just that they don't, you know, they don't care. They think it's end user. They don't see how it affects everything else within the building. Mm -hmm. And again, just as George said, you know, you can put some beautiful AV stuff into a room, but if it's not integrated properly and it doesn't, you know, essentially fit properly, um, it's not going to be as effective. It won't be that showstopper. So just like when you're, you know, for us, when we're dealing with builders, they're the same, you know, thought process. They don't care about the audio. They don't care about the video. Throw me a couple, you know, the cheapest lamp cord speaker wire you got. Right. Throw in the, you know, $20 a pair speakers or, well, 60 whatever they are. Yeah. You know, builder spec garbage. Put it in, and I'm happy. I don't care. Right. Right. Um, and- like, we've, we've talked to builders that build multi-million dollar homes trying to get them to look at putting lighting control into some of their models. They look at me like I'm stupid. And it's like, okay, you have, you know... $100,000 in marble on your floors, in your entryways, in your kitchens. I understand that. That makes you look good. You know what the 10 light switches when you walk in the room look like to me? They look like garbage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but again, since they don't, uh, until, you know, any of these, you know, people, architects, builders, designers, whatever, until they fully can appreciate and really understand what AV in all of its forms can do for their projects and their buildings and their own homes. Mm-hmm. And they won't understand it. You're absolutely we right. Find that unless we can get a, you know, sticking with the architect feel, unless we can get an architect to let us bring in, you know, whatever lighting system we're using and throw a sample system into their house, give it to them, program it right, you know, make it work. Just do one or two rooms right. Let them play with it. Once they play with it, you know, and have used it for a month, then when we come back to take it out, <laughs> then they also look at us in interesting ways. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it's one of those things. It, it seems to be, unless they can experience and get a handle for it and really truly understand what it is, more than a spec sheet, more than a manufacturer's, you know, training of, yes, use our system because it's better than the other guys, it's, it's just not really going to happen, unfortunately. Again, unless they're geeks and they want it. But but you know what you just described? You just co- took that that designer, that architect, and you converted mm-hmm. him into an end user, right? Exactly. And so and what we're finding... To... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Matt. No, I was just saying, and that's, that's for in my experience, that's been the only way we've been able to get them to understand it. Right. It's, it, it's, we treat them <laughs> as bad as it is. We treat them just like they are the end user. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what we do when we put in a theater. We don't necessarily tell them they're getting lighting control. We just put it in. One, because it's cool, makes it look better. But two, because that's a great gateway for us to get into the rest of the house. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So when we put it in, you know, it, it, it gets them the feel, gets them like the, the understanding that, wow, I can turn all the lights on in this room with one button or what? my iPad or whatever. And again, that gets them thinking about the rest of the room. So when we get into architects and stuff like that, we can't seem to deal with them on a, you know, specifier to specifier level. We have to get them into that end user point because we haven't had any success with the specifier level. Right. You know, we, if you have okay. a way to do that, you know. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and that's why a lot of these projects are driven by the end user. It's the end user telling their specifier what they want. And I, I definitely see that in the commercial side where oh, a, a school administrator saying, yeah. I want this in my building, put it in. 
um, if he doesn't tell them to do that, it doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, we started off this conversation talking about CTS certification and all that kind of stuff, and, and this was a good segue. But one of the things I kind of wanted to hit on is, you know, we talk about consultants specifying CTS, CTSIs in their specifications, saying that, hey, if you're going to do this contract, you need to have these certifications. But what I'm finding is a lot of them aren't enforcing it. So right. I'll have a competitor that'll win a project. They don't have the certifications. They don't have the education or the, and they might have the experience, but they're not providing what the specification has called for. Why aren't they enforcing these? Why aren't they enforcing the CTS? But who, who's, whose job is it to enforce it, though? It's the, it's the consultants. It's the spec writers. Mm-hmm. That's a very good question. Do you guys have any input on that? You know, I know, was it a couple of years ago, didn't Cedia and Infocom have a little little, little tantrum fight in Massachusetts yes. about whose yeah. spec or whose training was supposed to be the official one? Right. Yes. I think you get something similar when it happens where the guys go, well, you know, one set says, no, this is the end-all and be-all certification for our contracts, and we've written it, and the rest go, no, it's not. And then on the commercial side, when you get, you know, the union guys going, no, you're not. Right. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely it's right there. Of, yeah. You know, so should there be? I agree. There should be a low voltage certification and license. I mean, electricians have to have it. Yeah. Low voltage should have something that's a basic understanding so that you can work with architects and you can work with these guys and make them understand the stuff. Well, you've got um, the NYSET certifications, you know, that. Yeah, but that, who, again, who's, who's, in, who's enforcing it? That's and it's exactly. Not national. Right, right. Like the, the thing that we deal with a lot, and again, most of our work anymore has become very residential based. Um, so we do deal with the CDS stuff and currently I'm not a member and there's, that's a whole nother conversation, which we won't get into at this point, um, unless you really want to, but, uh, you know, we deal with a lot of stuff where, you know, we see contracts that, you know, you have to be CDS certified for et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which we can bid on and do all that jazz. But in a lot of the residential stuff, we find ourselves walking in and saying, all right, Here's our, you know, here's our certifications. Here's where we're at. We can do, you know, this, this, and this for you, no problem. And we end up bidding against, you know, a trunk slammer or, you know, some either electrician or alarm installation company that is selling the dream of home automation or whatever on the backbone of really nothing as a rule. And, you know, again, it's one of those things where it's specified for this product and you know we're certified dealers or preferred service systems providers or whatever for that product and we end up bidding against someone who's not even built bidding the same product that was the specified uh product yeah. and it's just again there's there seems to be a huge disconnect between you know those limitations on essentially who can spec what i find nine nine times out of ten it just always comes down to a price point so when they first, you know, sent out that um, ad for bids, that specification was highly important. But when it got down to the budget point, yeah, we, we'll take it or leave it. Yeah, and that's that's unfortunately how it, it all comes down to is, is the bottom line. The bottom line, as they say, is the bottom line. It is. So um, George sent us uh, an, an interesting story from um, – I'm going to apologize if I butcher her name, Rachel – uh, Saracola um, says that uh, according to ABI research, 1.8 million automation systems uh, will ship globally this year, and by 2016, 12 million 
will will be shipped. This leads us into a, a conversation about a couple different things. First of all, guys, is this are you excited about this? Is this something that that you're that you're excited about? Possibilities for your business, or is this just kind of I expected this because we're still not quite to the Jetsons home yet. Um, it's for me. It's something that I I I have been expecting. You know, we're big pushers of home automation. Again, highly on the resi side. Um, what I'd be interested to see is where what those pro- projections entail. You know, is it something where, not to use a completely terrible uh, example, but oh, go ahead. is this is this like a clapper type automation? <laughs> oh, hey, I, what, what? I can turn my lights off. Clap, clap, clap. We're good. Or is this true? You know, and I read the article, and it is a good article, but you know, as a full automation guy. I do kind of giggle when I see, you know, Verizon is selling home automation or anything of that nature. To me, it's, you know, it is that, I hate to say cheesy end, but the cheesy end of our industry. Well, it's it's um, also the it's it's the end of you know you, I'm sure you guys have seen the the car commercials now that that has the mom turning on and turning off the the car from her airplane you know she's getting yes. ready to, to board the it's 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 kind of that level of of car automation it's it's home automation but it's still mm-hmm. automation you know it is it is and I think it's just great for our industry in general because just like anything the more people that have exposure to it if they get you know one of those systems or you know, one of the, the Slage, I think it was Slage, was doing the app where you could lock your doors and turn on, like, free lights from your iPhone. Yep. That's yeah. awesome because as soon as they hit that limit of, you mean I can't turn on four? Then they call somebody like me who says, yeah, we can automate your entire house. Yeah. Every single light, shade, you know, TV, it doesn't matter. We can touch it. And I think, it, you know, it's just something where we're growing the market. And getting more people open to the exposure of what's out there, which is just—it's it, good for everybody. Well, and, and you know, I think. Go ahead, George. Okay. Um, this also goes back to education. I think now, we we're talking before about CTS and educating people, but the clients aren't really educated on this, Ooh. and some are. We've got our DIYers, we've got our end gadget type guys, um, and that Schlegel thing, which is a great example in a, in a quote unquote women's magazine. Some most of those ads ran trying to entice, you know, the wife approval factor and the mommy factor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, look, there are also companies, I think some cable companies and some alarm companies are selling touch panel interfaces with over Ethernet control of the house mm-hmm. yep. as well, which are nice lead-ins. Um, I'm actually writing a blog article about this, which is DIY is your integrated friend because there's that, you know, in, you know, first in, in like, I love this, just like you said, Matt, about, you know, even the homeowners or the architects who say, what do you mean you're taking this demo out of my house? This was cool. Um, but we don't have an educated public who still think that, and this may broach on some of our other topics, that X10 is actually control. Oh, it's amazing. It, it is, but it, <laughs> it isn't? isn't. You know, <laughs> you know, I don't think, you know, so when we get into this education part, it's a very rare or a very small portion of the X10 DIYers that will ever migrate themselves by desire to a higher-end system. Right. Um, and I think, I don't know, I, I really question those numbers on a residential side, maybe commercial because of all the lead stuff and everything else we need to keep track of, and automation is, quote-unquote, the panacea answer. But, and yes, I did make those things in the air. I hate when I do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, you know, I just outed myself. Um, but 
we, we, we need to be able to tell the, the, the end user, this is something you want and why. And part of my rant has been why more integration companies aren't going out and saying, here is your first one. It's a very tiny standalone product that, that you can add on to with more of our products. And eventually you get to a level where you need and want to go bigger time, even if it's just one room, you need to get a programmer in. But to that same end, I want those manufacturers and programmers to provide me with a tool where I can change some of the functions and some of the look of the panel that I'm using. Why? Because no offense, Matt, I don't want to spend X amount of dollars to have you come back to change one picture yeah. <laughs> in oh, the background of my touch panel, right? That's not I a profit completely. center. You know, in the old days, guys were saying that's part, that was partly a profit center, just like hanging flat panels was. No, it's not. So it's more of annoyance, and you're going to lose more clients, and you're going to gain by doing that. And I don't understand why it's not part and parcel of more of these systems. I know that um, I think Control 4 has that. They have something on their little Control 4 where the users can download a software mm -hmm. that they can do some changes, but it blocks them out of all the rest. Yeah, minor changes. Right. I'm sure if you're a hacker, something, you can figure it out. Yes, I know that's something that, uh, you know, as a Crestron dealer, we do have issues with definitely on the residential side. When we put a system in or spec a system and they realize that, Hey, outside of changing, you know, channel favorites on our Prodigy or Adagio system, we can't do anything. And we say, yeah, kind of. <laughs> it, it, that does always, you know, cause a bit of a headache. One thing that helped us out greatly on the lighting control side was when Lutron brought their uh, their iPad app. It allowed changes of uh, what they call homeowner edits, so that a homeowner can go in and change the sequence or the you know intensity levels of different lights on their different keypads that was amazing because before again it was a service call which people just don't like to pay for stuff that in theory they shouldn't really have to pay for to change their lights well and, and this leads us into a couple of other story guys uh the Cisco, um, one of the stories says that Cisco has abandoned their energy management and they're, they're going to still um, keep with the uh, branding partnership they have with Control 4. Here's my evil empire uh, view of that. Huey Blau. Oh. <laughs> Watch out, guys. He's stepping on his soapbox. <laughs> you can mark this date down. It's August 19th, 2011. Tim Albright predicts Cisco's going to buy Control 4. And do exactly what we've been talking about. Okay, they. This is what they do. They consume technology. They consume products. They put a Cisco label on it, and then they market it to the ends of the universe, and everybody buys it. I mean, five or six years ago, I bought my first router. It was a Linksys. Guess what? When I went to change it out, I didn't buy a Linksys. I bought a Cisco router. Nothing changed except the name. This is what they're going to do. They, they, they are huge in IT, and, and I will contend that when they do that, they will, they will eventually become, if not the number one control company in AV, the, the, at least the top three, because that's what Cisco does. You're going to step on a lot of toes with that statement. Not really <laughs> mine. I could care less, but... <laughs> There's, yeah, the aforementioned Let's company. see, how many sponsorships did we just lose? <laughs> exactly. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Exactly. How, how many sponsorships do we have? Well, <laughs> potential. <laughs> what was it George it's, said? Uh, we are, we are um, um, agnostic. So. <laughs> Manufacturing yes. agnostic, right. You know, it, from a, again, being a, a resi guy who does um, 
you know, some Crestron stuff. This is kind of a big deal if Cisco goes in and takes them um, as far as Control 4. We are dealing more and more with competition from Control 4 dealers. And, again, nothing wrong about the product, uh, but we are dealing with more competition from them. So it, it's something where if Cisco puts their brand behind it and takes it over, it will be a very interesting uh, shift in the market you know, in two, three years if and when that happens. Okay, uh, here's an even bigger, bigger, more evil empire view of this. I just thought of this. Google's going to buy them. Go, go back to a conversation we had last week about Best Buy. And follow me here for a second. Cisco, the big marketing giant that is in every place, including Best Buy, they buy Control 4. They already have Tamburg. Let's say they pick up a, a, a decent switcher manufacturer. They start selling it. Force. Go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, and Control 4 is already on offering in the Magnolia stores. Yes, yes. So you you put all of the Cisco marketing power behind this. They push it through the Best Buy, who has got the, the, the Geek Squad there to help you um, install, install it and screw up your install, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, it's all you know, HTML5-based uh, based stuff. How could they not be? I mean, how can you not be frightened of that p- prospect? Michael? <laughs> it doesn't scare me. I mean, maybe maybe I'm naive, right? You but are naive. I, I'm naive, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna choose my words very wisely for several reasons here. But, um, you know, Cisco is a marketing company who happens to do infrastructure and video and automation and 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 right on down the line, and you know, they they have their following, but you're also finding a lot of people are beginning to jump ship with the Cisco loyalty because they're not as innovative as a lot of the other companies are, right? You, you said it earlier. They buy up the technology. They slap their label on it, and away they go, right? And I didn't, by the way, they I didn't throw, say that was a bad thing. I just said no, that's no, what no, they do. No, but, but that's what they do, right? Well, then that marketing machine starts to take over the business. It starts to, to run everybody's businesses, and you're no longer your own company when it's all said and done. So I don't see AV integrators pushing those products and services. Now, that being said, all right, they will have their market in the retail channel. They're going to go after the consumer level, the DIYers, and they're going to thrive there if they go down this path. But they're not going to thrive in the place where Matt works, in the multi-million dollar homes. They're not going to thrive in where the local integrators are already in bed with the customer base. They're going to thrive where the consumer is going to be able to go to the retail store, pick up the product. I don't see them dominating in the enterprise market. Okay. And this is where you and I disagree. George, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to throw this one to you. Something we went back to, and, and Matt alluded to it earlier with the, with the digital signage. You have retailers who ostensibly would like to save money with energy costs and stuff like that. Automation is one way you can do that. You have Walmart who goes to Michael or goes to Matt and says, hey, um, we'd like to put in a, an automation system. And their corporate comes down and says, hey, well, by the way, we're talking to these Cisco guys over here that says that they can do anything, everything for us direct to us. How are these guys not, not frightened of that exactly, George? I don't see how they're not in the commercial side. Um, in the residential side, there becomes a point where the people who in these, in these larger homes and of, of larger economic value – uh, want something different and want the Porsche of the industry. It's fast, it's slick, it does everything in the world, and it's and it's limited to who can have it. Um, but I agree that you know there is a certain level where they go. 
you know what? I don't need that really expensive system. I'm going to do the more inexpensive. Now, there's a there's a downside to it, of course, right? As any one of us installers can tell you, is that you get what you pay for. Mm -hmm. And often you run into brick walls that you didn't expect <laughs> to have happen. Um, there's a great book called The uh, Consequences of Unexpected Occurrences or something like that, uh, which it talks about, um, you know, things like... Um, crossbreeding wheat with another species and all of a sudden what happens really though is it kills off all the native plants because they didn't really think that this would happen but it spread and crossbred with some f crops across the way and killed that crop right it sort of happens in AV that way doesn't it yeah. you say I want this it's the less expensive way to do it and when you come up against what you thought your plans were for growth all of a sudden you now have to rip that entire inexpensive system out because it can't grow with you and you're double spending rather exactly. than holding on to it for as long as you want to. And we all know, like in schools, schools are going to hold on to the technology until it is no longer functioning. Amen, brother. And, and sometimes you, after and that. You, <laughs> right, exactly. And if you, can't, if you can't grow with it or at least work in tandem with it at times as you get them to grow, they're not going to go with you. Yeah. you know, only unless someone really has a, a, a bug in their ear that they want to move forward. Um, I, I know for like someone like me, I, you know, I'm a DIYer now. And I'm probably a little more knowledgeable than some of the DIYers, to be a little coquettish. But I'm looking for that. I want Control 4 to go to become where I have at least 20, 30 percent control of the system once I get someone to install it. Yeah. Because after you install it, I want to upgrade, but let me do with what I want now. And then I'm going to really be hungry to have that new feature. And there's also the danger of the sort of slide downward. I think we, we went over this a couple of weeks ago as well, where you have iPods, you have MP3s. The ubiquitous format now is a, is of a lesser audio quality mm -hmm. than what you and I grew up with, mm -hmm. right. us. And a lot of people don't care. And some of it is not really worth the higher quality, right? We don't we don't need Masterdisc mastering Britney Spears songs. She probably does, no. but they can afford it. But they don't need to because ninety percent of the people are where you had that uh, NMS twelve or their Oratone on the main mix console because you know that that's what they're listening to, right? So, you know, for the rare few audiophiles that want to listen to Miss Brittany, they, they do a good job. But for the most part, it doesn't matter. Right. And that's where you sort of have to have that balance. And is it a market you want to go after? Well, a couple of the main manufacturers out there, one of whom I used to work for, has a line that's affordable. And yep. going after that mid-market, upper-middle-class install. What they don't do, of course, is like what, what Matt was saying, is that once you're in, you're in, and you can't change it yourself, except for maybe some few TV favorites, which has only recently come along as being a standard thing, right, Matt? Tell me about it. <laughs> right, and it, used to have to be, right. it yeah. used to have to be that the programmer needed to come up with this matrix array that would store variables mm -hmm. in the programming so that someone could do this, but a lot of them didn't spend the time to do that because their margins were so low. Exactly. You know, on the programming side, at least. Uh, so, I, you know, why isn't this a natural thing? I don't know. One of the biggest things that I see with this type of situation is if Cisco buys Control 4 and essentially just slaps their label on it and they just keep pushing out products, that's one thing. If Cisco buys Control 4 and they still continue to be very innovative with what they're doing and what they're bringing to the market, that's a whole other ballgame. It, it, it's something where you know they have been very good at bringing a lot of uh, good products to market Control 4 has. But if that kind of starts to dwindle down, which is kind of the vibe I'm getting from you guys, is that that's kind of what you're thinking. They'll slap their brand on it, and then it'll just be marketing. And if that happens, then yeah, it'll be in Best Buy. It'll be you know, 
wherever else it sold. It was be sold on Amazon or whatever. Mm-hmm. And people will buy it just like they were buying Logitech uh, multifunction remotes. Yes. And it'll be amazing. And, you know, the guys down the street who have the cool house and the cool car may have one in their house. And they're very proud of it. And they'll show it off to all their friends. But what you'll still have is you'll still have a large market of end users who either don't want to ever think about installing it themselves. I have customers that literally pay me good money to come change light bulbs. <laughs> I think it's retarded. I don't understand it. And I tell them many times, you do realize how much you just paid me to drive over here, stand on a chair or a ladder, and screw in another light bulb. That was a, that was a chair, right? The OSHA guy was listening. Right. I know, no, it, it's a chair with safety rails. And, you know. Oh, so it wasn't that swivel chair I have a picture of. No, 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 no. Tilt back, you know, balancing while it's walking. Oh, goodness. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the wrong have... business then, man. I need to go into a light bulb changing business. <laughs> you know, Matt, I mean, because I have a light bulb changing story as well. Because when I was growing up, my, my dad helped uh, manage condominium complexes out in the in the Hamptons. Uh, oh, yeah. Careful, I was a local, I wasn't one of the richies, okay? <laughs> Just so you know. um, my dad was a cop, a fisherman, and he ran stuff, okay? That's about oh, wow. it. But um, he, um, the, he started running these condo complexes as a side job, and it's now grown into this industry he does out there. He's got four or five complexes and hundreds of houses. But that aside, my teenage years were spent weeding the gardens and getting called over by all of the, uh, the, the owners during the summers and, and the fall saying, these lights are out, can you please change them? Here's 50 bucks. Exactly. Jeez. And what 17-year-old or 15-year-old is going to go, oh, I'm not going to do that for 50 bucks. I was happy to hop up on anything they had to get me up there and change light bulbs. You know? hey, <laughs> like, what, what, thir- what 35-year-old would not do it for 50 bucks? Exactly. You know? <laughs> and, and if again, I could only afford to live out there, I'd move back and do that. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Well, if you change enough bulbs, maybe you could. Exactly. Right. It's your business, though. <laughs> it, you know, and again, it, that is just strictly that, you know. We do have those clients that that's where they're at. They just don't want to touch anything. They don't want to think about it. They don't care if they're paying you to come out and change a channel favorite just because they forgot how to do it right. on their low-cost or high-cost system, depending what it is. Right. Um, and again, it it's just something where there are so many people who, yes, they love the fact it's DIY. We, you know, again, have those same customers who go to Best Buy to buy the screen because for whatever reason they've decided that's the best way for them to do it they'll buy the screen there and they'll still call us to come install it mm-hmm. and you know yeah we will still do that but you know it, it's one of those things if they innovate or sorry if they are very innovative with the product if they do buy it that that you know does bring one discussion to the table if they buy it and it just kind of becomes anything else that they've bought like flip hd yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not not that who cares, but No, but you know, that's it, a good point though. I mean that that they they just kind of I don't know how much how many hundreds of millions they spent on it, but mm-hmm. they pretty much just threw that away because they they killed the product line. So here's my question to Mr. Albright, are you willing to put a timeline on this prediction? <laughs> a time? No, not really. I just uh, see the thing. Twenty eleven. See the twenty. Yeah, yeah. In the next two weeks. When will this be announced? Oh, a, a year from now. Twelve months. Infocom twenty twenty twelve. All right, flag the tape. Yeah, flag the tape. So you're saying you're gonna take the James Randi uh, million dollar challenge and uh, prognosticate this? Are you? 
I don't even know what that is. <laughs> oh, okay. A longer I, I, story that you don't want to get it, into here. It sounds – I heard a million dollars. Well, first of all, you got to look up Pronounsticate for him. What? Thank <laughs> yeah, okay. you very much. <laughs> and it is a family show that where it doesn't offend anyone. Trust me. No. Um, Anyway, I'll, I'll tell you offline what it is. Okay. <laughs> I, I heard a million, as long as it's not me forking up a million dollars, I'm all for it. So Now, it's a million-dollar prize for um, um, psychics. Oh, yes. Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. Although, speaking of that, can we move on to my, fran- my, 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 my much-anticipated topic here about dancing on the grave? Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I'll, I'll even let you kick it I, off, I George. I think we all know where this is. Go ahead, George. X10, a, X10 evidently, according to CE Pro and other sources, uh, is going out of business. Uh, they're not manufacturing stuff anymore, nor are they selling any of their products. And George goes, uh, This woo-hoo. comes, what, on the tail of them being seen as hackable, power line controllers as eminently hackable, which we all knew for quite a long time. Well, yeah, and that, that, um, that came out of DEF CON. Yes, yes. But that's been something that's been sort of bubbled and known for a while, but I think it was one of those things where they went, look, critical mass, we can actually hack anybody, which is not true, but... That's another topic. Um, I just, I, nothing against the people who work there for, per se, because I don't know any of them personally, but this company has been swarmy and has just given me an icky feeling from the days that, <laughs> I, 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 the, from the time that they got on the web, and by the way, their website never changed from like 1984. So they have animated GIFs. Oh, God, thousands of them topped <laughs> on top of each other. But their biggest <laughs> thing was that they were selling those um, webcams, and they sold webcams as spy cams, and all their advertising had images of like that pretty girl at the at the pool oh, or you know, the dude. wife through the window which was just swarmy as all yeah this, this looks like an online wholesaler site yeah yeah and i i also have friends who worked in the um in the online advertising business uh places like not, not at but like double click and the rest mm-hmm. these guys have not paid like millions of dollars in banner ads funds fees that they owe mm. they just ran them and said, yeah, 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 we're a big company, and just squirted out on them. And they're just they're bad news. And I'm sure I'll get lots of flack from all these X10 people if any of them are listening <laughs> to this. But you know what? The product hasn't innovated in 20 years. They're swarmy as all get out. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Why don't that, you tell us how you feel? We'll, we'll, we'll leave it yeah, at exactly. that. <laughs> we, we will leave it at that. Um, with us today has been, uh, has been George <laughs> Tucker. Just... <laughs> <laughs> he 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 just read the uh, eulogy for X10. He, he is at Tucker Twos or tuckertuesday.typepad.com. Tucker Twos uh, at Tucker Twos on Twitter. He is the engineering coordinator for World Stage. Um, Matt Scott is Omega Audio Video, uh, omegaaudiovideo.net or at Omega Audio Video. Uh, if you would like to follow just his hair. It is at Matt Scott's <laughs> hair. How did that come about, by the way? If, 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 if people aren't familiar with Twitter and, and all of that, how did your hair get very, its own Twitter? The very, very short story was uh, at Infocom was meeting a bunch of our fellow AV tweets in real life for the first time, having not really met too many of you guys outside of uh, Twitter. And there seemed to be a fascination with my hair. You have good hair. I don't. I do have good hair. You have good hair. And <laughs> I, I thank my, my white Russian grandfather for giving me his beautiful hair. But uh, I don't really know how it became such a fascination, but it seemed to. And long story short, we're prepping for Cedia this year, which I'm on the uh, social media panel on Saturday morning of, <clears throat> and sent a, a little joke video in reference to that panel to uh, 
the other uh, people on the panel. And one of the organizers for the panel saw it, tweeted me back, and the end of her comment was, dig the hair. I've never met her before. She has no idea about everything previous with the hair comments. And it just started this little Twitter rash of, you know, things are not awesome or things will be more awesome if they have Matt Scott's hair, uh, just et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And kind of spiraled downhill from there to the point of people wanting to make a Matt Scott's hair Twitter handle, which made me say, well, I'm all for the joke of Matt Scott's hair having a Twitter account, but I'd rather be in control of it. So <laughs> if you do follow Matt Scott's hair, you'll get the odd picture of either good or bad hair days. Yesterday we had a bad hair day um, by the end of the day. <laughs> um, but you also get the odd hair hairstyling tip or my personal favorite uh, products, whatever you uh, prefer. But, yeah, it's more of a joke thing than anything. I am, though, hoping to at some point soon get up with my clout score of my hair yes. to beat Johnny Moda just because that, that would be very, very harsh <laughs> for him. Johnny Moda has uh, been beaten by yeah. Matt Scott's hair. Yeah, so if any of you want to help out and give me clout for that, that would be quite amazing. That would be just to mess with Johnny. That's a race and a half. Mascot's hair versus hat. He's He's a monster, but no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. And and see, that's why I think it's a good battle: the hat versus no hat. The hat versus the hair. Matt, do you know what I want? I want you to do like the back of a cereal boxes with the little cutout, so I can cut it out and put your hair on my head. (laughs) That would be awesome. I tell you what, if you send me a, a nice headshot, I think you still have my email, and I will do my Photoshop magic and uh, and throw you in there for just for old time's sake. Oh, I just think during one of the tweet-ups that you're going to be at Cedia with everybody wearing the, ha- the hair as a, as a cardboard cutout would just be phenomenal. Oh, that would be amazing. We might, have to get, we might have to get me some more followers, though. We're, we're a little light on followers yeah. right now. I think we just discovered today's title is Matt Scott's Matt's hair. Matt Scott's hair. <laughs> All right, for... Uh, the, Go ahead. For those of you who are wanting to follow and, and, and give him some clout, it is at Matt Scott's Hair <laughs> on Twitter. Or if you just want the AV guy, it is at Omega Audio Video. Uh, in the studio with me is Michael Drainer from Tech Electronics. If you would like to follow him on Twitter, it is Michael Drainer, D R A I N E R. Linda Sid Frembus uh, joined us earlier. She is the AV writer at the AV writer. Um, oh, I'm sorry, at AV writer. On Twitter, my name is Tim Albright. I am your host, moderator, and general AV geek. Go to our website. Hey, guys. Yes, sir. Sorry, just to cut in one, Mm -hmm. just a quick second. Just saw news that the sixth victim of the uh, Indy State Fair collapse just passed away. Oh, Oh, jeez. No kidding. Jeez. What we'll do is, Linda sent me the the link to um, the... uh, um, the spot uh, operator, his his fund. Um, yeah. We're going to put that on a link uh, on the website and um, in the uh, in the feed. So um, we will uh, remember them and um, check it out. Uh, I appreciate. Thank you guys very much for being here. Uh, thanks, thanks, Brenda. And uh, and that's all the time we have for AV Week. Mm-hmm.